Well, I want to uh, ask if you could open your Bibles to John chapter 14. We're going to read that scripture in just a moment. But we've been blessed this month with a series uh, entitled, Know Why You Believe. We've been going through different topics, and I, I think it's so crucial that we start off this year right, that if there's anything in our life that has possibly uh, been taken out of alignment, uh, that God, through his Holy Spirit and through the preaching of his word, through the direction of his word, would realign our lives, our thinking, our attitudes, our perspectives, because it's so important. If we don't have our eyes set on the right thing, over time, we're just going to veer off more and more and more. And you and I know how it is to drive a car that is out of alignment, right? You take your hands off the steering wheel, it wants to go its own way, it wants to do its own thing. Uh, it shakes. It's not a smooth ride. It's not a pleasant ride. In the same way, whenever anything in our life is out of alignment, it affects the direction that we're going. So we've been t tackling some, some good topics this month, and I believe tonight's topic it's something so important that we have to, we have to get right. We have to have right in our lives. And it's the question, this is a question in the title of tonight's message. Is Jesus the only way? And there's a question mark after that. Because there are so many questions when it comes to, to Jesus Christ out there in the world. Is he the only way? Are there many ways to God? God is so vast, so is there only one way to him? We've seen through different TV interviews, we've seen uh, uh, popular faces, popular TV personalities ask popular preachers, Popular leaders in the Christian faith. Is Jesus the only way? And it's amazing the different types of answers that you get. And I pray tonight, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm praying to the Lord that I would correctly represent his word and his message and the truth of God's word. Because it's so important. We all have to correctly answer this question because it has eternal consequences in our lives. Is Jesus the only way? Now, why is this question so important? There's a couple reasons. The first thing as we dive to answer this question, as we strive to answer this question, we have to look into God's word and see what his word says about it. Because there are so many opinions in this world, aren't there? Just open your social media page. Your feed, opinion about this and about that. What is the best food? Where's the best place to go? What's, uh, what's the best job to have? What's the best way to, to be a parent? What's the best way to do this and to do that? There are so many opinions. Everybody has an opinion. But we don't need another opinion, right? We need the truth. We need the truth tonight. So when it comes time to answering this question, is Jesus the only way? We don't need an opinion, but we have to look at the Word of God. And if we look at the Word of God, we have to believe what the Word of God says. It starts there. If you and I don't believe the Word of God, that, that it is pure, that it is inspired by, by God, that it is truth, that it is the ultimate truth, that it is unchanging, from cover to cover, that everything is true. That's where we have to start when we answer this question, is Jesus the only way? And you have to 
come to a place in your heart through faith that you believe this is the word of God. This is truth. So if we answer this question, if we, if we strive to get the answer to this question, we have to look at God's word first of all. We have to believe everything that the word of God says. Everything. From cover to cover, we have to believe it because if we don't believe everything that the Word of God says, then it's subject to our opinions. It's subject to us uh, just making a decision, well, that applies to me, but I don't like this book, book in the Bible. I like what this book says. It encourages me. It helps me, but this other book convicts me, so I don't want to believe that book. We can't do that because it doesn't work. God's Word is so much greater, and it's truth, so we have to believe in His Word. We have to seek God through his word to answer this question for us. And secondly, it's the most important question because everything we believe, everything that Christianity is, is hinged on how you answer this question. Is Jesus the only way? And it's a personal question. It's a question that you're going to have to answer for yourself in your own life and in your own heart. The person sitting next to you, your mother or your father, your parents, your husband or your wife, they have to decide this, the answer to this question in their own lives, and so do you and I. So if Jesus is who he says he is, then we must believe what he says, 100%, completely and wholeheartedly. If we don't believe it 100%, then we don't believe any of it. We can't pick the word of God apart and believe what we want to based on how we feel or how we think. But in faith, we believe what the word of God says as truth. And in faith, we believe every single thing it says. Listen to this. And we're going to read John uh, 14 in just a, a second. But I want to share this article. This, just, this astounded me. In an article found on ChristianHeadlines.com by Milton uh, Quintanilla, it says this. It says, when when asked what prevents them, talking about Christians, from communicating their faith to unbelievers, close to 70% of born-again Christians say there are other ways to heaven aside from turning to Christ for salvation. Did you hear that? Did you hear that percentage? Close to 70% of born-again Christians say that there are other ways to heaven aside from turning to Christ for salvation. My Lord, my God, I, I pray that statistic is wrong. According to the survey, this response is known as pluralism, which states that there are other ways besides my way, and I don't need anyone to impose my way on others. So when looking at the question, why don't people evangelize? Why don't people tell others about Jesus Christ? Well, this is the reason why, because according to this statistic that was uh, taken about 3,000 people, and this was just taken this past October, close to 70% say that there are other ways. So if there are other ways, then why tell someone else about it? If Jesus isn't the only way and someone's going to find their own way on their own through their own works or through their own efforts, then I don't have to evangelize. That's what happens. That's what the statistic tells us. That you and I don't bear any responsibility. If people are just going to find their own way on, on how they feel in their own mind and their own concepts, then what it does is it takes the responsibility off the believers, off you and I from evangelizing. 
And there is such a great responsibility for you and I to tell others about the truth of God's word. And we're going to see why here as we get into this here in just a moment. That's astounding. I believe this is an important topic because I believe that this generation, I believe this generation in particular, is so much more accommodating to, uh, to being open to other views. And I'm not talking about being bigots. I'm not talking about uh, just closing ourselves off and not being relative to others, being open to others and to help them into the truth. But I believe that this generation faces a challenge of being so accommodating to others to not, be, to, to not want to speak the truth in fear of offending someone. In fear of losing a friendship. In fear of looking weird to others. And that statistic, close to 70%, is amazing. It's fearful. When we look at the truth of God's word, the true answer to this question is, is very simple, and it's very plain, called out in the word of God. So here we go, John 14, verse 1 through 7. The Bible says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Verse 4, and you know the way to where I am going. Verse 5, no, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way, he asked. Now listen to this. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you, had, if you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Would you bow your head with me as we pray tonight? Father, we're so grateful. We're so grateful, God, for your grace for your presence, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful sacrifice that you gave us, Lord. Your only son, your only begotten son, to come and die for us as a perfect sacrifice, Lord, because we needed you, God. Even before we realized it, God, we needed you, and you saw that, Lord, and you sacrificed so much for us, Father, and we're so grateful for that. Holy Spirit, give us understanding. Let our ears be open, let our hearts be soft, God, that it would receive your word with gladness, Father God. Have your way, Father God, and let us walk out of here knowing the truth, God, because if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. We thank you, we ask in Jesus' name. We all say, amen. Jesus said in verse 6, he told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Such an audacious and a bold statement that Jesus is making. He's leaving no question about who he is. He leaves no question that he is the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, as I said here just a moment ago, that we have to believe the word of God is truth. And if we believe the Word of God, we believe what the Word of God says about Jesus. And if we believe what the Word of God says about Jesus, we will believe his words. And if we believe his words, we believe this statement where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. 
If we choose to believe other scriptures and not that one, then we make him a liar. And what else can we believe? We can't believe anything else he says. If he lied about this, he lied about other things. He lied about heaven. He lied about redemption. If we think he lied about this statement, we think he lied about all the other promises. If we think the word of God lied about this statement, then we can't believe the rest of it. Now we're going to look in God's word, and God's word is a compass that is going to lead us to truth. 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that all scripture is inspired by God. Now, as we look at this script, at the question, is Jesus the only way, we have to go to the beginning. We go back to the book of Genesis, we go to the beginning, and we look at the fall of man. And we know how Genesis opens up. That God created the heavens and earth. He said, let there be light, and there was light. And he created, we, we get an account of, the, of creation, and everything was good, and he created the heavens and the earth. He created nature, the animals, the fowls of the air, the, the fish of the sea. He created everything. And then he created man. Then he created woman. Everything was perfect in the Garden of Eden. Beautiful, perfect relationship between God and humanity, Adam and Eve. Unbroken relationship, fellowship, purity, beauty, right relationship between a pure and holy God and his creation, man and woman. It was perfect. Perfect. Eternity was right there in the Garden of Eden. Everything was provided for them. But then we jump to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and we get the account of the serpent. And we understand the instruction that God gave Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then in Genesis 3, 1, the Bible says the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? So we see the deception start to take place. We see that Eve was open to it. And we know how the story goes. The tree looked good, and we jump to uh, chapter 3, still the same chapter, verse 6. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and, it looked, and its fruit looked delicious. Isn't that, a, isn't that a description of what sin is, right? It looks beautiful. It looks delicious. It appeals to our liking, to our nature. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. In verse 7, at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. So here we see sin enters the world. While before it was perfect, that there was no sin, there was no death, there was no destruction, everything was perfect. But now because of this decision of Adam and Eve, they, they let sin in and sin entered the world. So here comes God on the scene. And he confronts Adam and Eve. And again, don't we see our nature here? God asks him, who told you? Who told you that you were naked? And Eve says, the serpent deceived me. Excuse number one. He looks at Adam. What's going on? 
Well, the wife that you gave me, she, she gave it to me. Excuses, right? Isn't that what happens when we get into sin? We try to make all these excuses. Why I did this? Why I did, did that? Instead of looking at ourselves, we want to look at others and the reason why we're in this place. So here's what God said. Here was God's response. And here we get a glimpse of Jesus and his coming in the plan of salvation. Genesis 3, we jump to verse 14. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you were cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And then in verse 15, he says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now that scripture right there is prophetic of the coming of Jesus. And what does that show us? That sin had now entered the world, and as quick as sin entered the world, God placed in motion immediately the plan for the sacrifice of one who could remedy this trespass. Because at that moment, mankind was cursed and was doomed to eternal separation from God the Father because God is a pure God, a holy God. He would not have anything unclean in his sight. And just as fast as sin entered the world, through God's grace, through God's love, he instituted and set in motion a plan for redemption. Now listen to this. This commentator, Matthew Henry, said this about this passage. He said, A gracious promise is here made of Christ as the deliverer of fallen man from the power of Satan. Though what was said was addressed to the serpent, yet it was said in the hearing of our first parents who doubtless took the hints of grace here given them and saw a door of hope open to them, else the following sentence upon themselves would have overwhelmed them. Here was the dawning of the gospel day. No sooner was the wound given than the remedy was provided and revealed. What does this show us here? And, and, and we're, we're working and we're looking to answer the question, is Jesus the only way? Here we see from the very beginning that mankind needed to have a sacrifice, someone that could, that could take the place of their sin and death. And what does it show us? It shows us the loving grace of God. It shows us the love of God. God could have threw his hands up. He could have said, I've given you a chance. I give you clear instruction to not eat of, the, of this fruit. He could have told him that. He could have put his hands up and said, I told you once and that's it. But we see the grace of God working here, way back in the book of Genesis. The grace and love that he has for you and I, the knowledge that he has knowing that you and I needed a savior, needed someone to, to take the place of our sin, that God is a loving God, and he's always working, striving to be in relationship with his creation. And as sin entered the world, there would have to be a sacrifice to redeem us, to bring us back into right relationship with him. God didn't desire to utterly leave us to our sins, to our schemes, to our own devices. God desired to be in relationship with you and I, and we see that painted all throughout Scripture. God always reaching out to save his people, to help his people, to redeem his people. No one can say that God is not a loving God. God is a loving God. God's grace is, is beyond our understanding. God's love is beyond our understanding. We know how you and I are, right? When someone offends us, what do we want to do? We want to turn 
our back on them. We want to cut them off, forget, forget them. Right? That's our nature. When we get hurt, we want to just shut the door. But look at God's grace, God's mercy. Think about where you've come from, believer. How far God has brought you, what he's done in your life, how he set you free, how he changed you. Why? Because it's the grace of God. It's the love of God working in our lives. Why? Because he loves us and he desires to be in right relationship with you and I. We look in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, we understand the story of Moses and how God called Moses to, to lead the people who were in Egypt, bound in slavery and bondage, who were crying out to God, and God sent a deliverer. God has always worked to deliver his people from bondage and sin. Why? Because he's a loving God. There's so many out there in the world, and I think this is why our witness and our testimony is so powerful, because there are so many out there in the world that are, con that are convinced that God is just a God of judgment, that God uh, is just ready to just hit them over the head with a bat because he is not happy with how they're living. But God is a God of love. He doesn't approve of sin. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to live a life of sin, but his grace and love are there, and he wants us to change. He wants to win us over. He wants us to be in right relationship with him. I mean, think of it as parents. You discipline your children, right? You do it because you have to do it, not because it brings you pleasure, but because you want them to grow up in the right way. And when we discipline our children, Although mom and dad have to come down on them and they have to, they have to get on their case sometimes and, and deal with issues, but it's because they desire that they would live a life of goodness, of godliness, a life of blessings. See, if we didn't care for our children, we wouldn't tell them anything. Just let them grow up however they want, do whatever they want. If we didn't care, that is how it would be. And in the same way, we look at the Word of God, and God gives us instruction and guidelines, and He, he gives us uh, uh, clear guidance on, on, on our lives. And why? He wants us to live in the land of blessing. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to enjoy everything He's given you. He wants you to enjoy your life, the blessing of life. He wants, to enjoy every, he wants you to enjoy everything that He's given to you. Just as we discipline our children, we desire to have them close. We, we desire that they would be provided for, that they would be in good health, that they, that they would grow up the right way. That's our desire, and in the same way, a million times over, that's God's desire for you and I. Now, here we go. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Listen to this. We're talking about a sacrifice. And Why? And let me just, before we read that, let me just summarize that God created he the heavens and earth, right? We see the story there in Genesis. God created man and woman. We understand that sin entered the world. We understand that in the Old Testament that God gave the law to humanity. And what did the law say in Leviticus 17.11? You could just write the scripture down for your reading later. But that blood is needed as a sacrifice to be forgiven. That's Leviticus 17.11. So we need a final sacrifice so that we could be redeemed once and for all. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says this. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ. 
Not Jesus Christ and so-and-so. Not Jesus Christ and this person or that person or this religion and that religion or, or religion in general. He is Jesus Christ. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous, the one, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. The Bible is plain. Scripture is plain when it tells us who Jesus Christ is, that he is the atonement, that we don't have to pray to this saint or that saint or this person or that person, but Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. He said it. Scripture says it. It's clear. There's no questions. There's no questions. And this is the truth that will set the world free. So whenever you and I are asked this question, perhaps at school, perhaps at our, our job or a workplace, or perhaps here in church or at home or wherever you are, you and I have a responsibility to speak truth because without the truth, there's no freedom. There's no redemption. We're not called to confuse the world and answer in a way that doesn't offend them, that we're worried about what they're going to think or what they're going to say. Let God worry about that. God has declared in his word that Jesus Christ is the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the atonement for our sins. And why all of this? Because God's plan of salvation and redemption in, through Jesus Christ is rooted in love. It's rooted in love. Now I'll read this, our, our sermon text one more time. John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. Now this notion, this truth, should not be viewed as constrictive. That God is just so constrictive and he's only making one way for us to get to him. But he has planned and, and made this plan of salvation. It's only one way and it's through Jesus Christ. And this truth, if we will embrace it, we will share it with the world. We'll bring joy. We'll bring freedom. We'll bring, bring eternal life to a lost and a dying world. It's through Jesus Christ. The statement of Jesus, as he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, it's a declaration that's predicated in love. It's all love. So we see in Scripture in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, the, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. His one and only son, such a sacrifice God didn't have to do that. But why did he do it? The Bible says here, because he loved the world so much, he did it in love. In Romans 5a, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Now we're answering the question, is Jesus the only way? And the Bible is leaving no question. Leaves no question that Jesus is the way, the one and only way to salvation. Some in this world would declare that God is unfair in this requirement to, to go through Jesus. But our answer to that, and my answer to that, and looking at that, 
People saying, God is unfair. Why would he only make one wave? Who else died for you? What other religion, what other person in humanity died for you, paid the price as the ultimate sacrifice? Who died for you? Jesus Christ. God loved you and I so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. No one else did that. And people want to complain, well, God is so unfair and unjust. Why is Jesus the only way? Because he died for you and I. He paid the price when he didn't have to. It's through Jesus. It's through Jesus that we're set free. It's through Jesus that we're redeemed. It's through Jesus that we're resurrected. It's through Jesus that we're changed. And I look out in this auditorium and I look at beautiful testimonies. Man, the work that God has done in your life. And no one knows better than you. I see the outward because I see how good you look and what God's doing in your life. But a man, oh man, where, where you've come from. God is so powerful. He's so loving. God is a jealous God. Exodus 34, 14. That's a scripture reference for you there. John 3, 13. The Bible says, no one, is, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Think of Jesus and all the glory he has in heaven. It was perfect. It is perfect. He was there in loving relationship with his father in complete rule and dominion. And he stepped away from that for a time to live a life of poverty here on earth, to be ridiculed, to be stabbed in the back by those closest to him, to be misjudged, to be persecuted when he came to feed the multitudes, to heal the sick, to heal sick children, to feed those who were hungry, to raise the dead, to remember Lazarus. Jesus came to perform the wonderful works of God so that lives can be touched, so that God's love can be demonstrated. That's all Jesus was about. He spoke the truth in love. And what did the world do to him? They rejected him. His own crucified him. He died a criminal's death, although he was 100% innocent. We see this scripture in Exodus 34, 14 that says that God is a jealous God. And why? Not because he's jealous just to be jealous as, as, as you and I are, but because he paid the price. From the very beginning, God has been giving and giving and giving chances after chances and grace after grace so that people can be redeemed. So we should not be surprised when the Bible says that, that he is a jealous God. Why? Because he's done so much for you and I. Think of it. Again, looking at the analogy of our children and his parents, you provide for your children, right? You put up with their attitudes sometimes and their moods, but you still provide for them. You feed them. You put clothes on their back. You take them here. You drive them there. And you take them to all these places. When they're sick, you console them. When they're scared, you comfort them. And after doing all this, imagine if they, if they need something, they just go to your neighbor to, to just ask for this and ask for that, and they start giving your neighbor credit for all the great things that you do in their life. How would you and I feel? I would be jealous. Man, after all I do for you, you're going to go give credit to someone else. I want the credit. 
God's a jealous God. Why? Because he loves us. He pours out his blessing on us. He, he touches us. He changes us. He, he receives us back. He redeems us. He heals us. He strengthens us. He guides us. He leads us. He does all these things. Why? Because he loves us. And that's why he's a jealous God. He loves us so much. It's all rooted in love. So I make this statement from the opening of this sermon when it was a question, is Jesus the only way? We can declare through the word of God that Jesus is the only way. It, it changes from a question to a statement to a declaration that Jesus is the answer. He is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him, period. It's God's word. Church, believer, let's not be afraid to preach the word of God because this world needs to hear it and the truth will set them free. How did you come to know Christ? Why? Because someone spoke the truth to you. Someone gave you the word of God. And I don't understand everything in the word of God. I don't understand every single thing, but I know if I preach the word of God and I let the word of God do its work, that people are gonna be changed. Right? The Word of God does, it's living, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. My own words aren't. My own words without God have no power, but God's Word has power. So church, if you and I speak the Word of God, if we share the Word of God, it's going to do its work. Now Romans chapter 5 The whole passage, this whole scripture uh, passage in Romans chapter 5 is amazing. But for the sake of time, I want to look at a few verses here. In verse 6, Romans chapter, chapter 5, verse 6, the Bible says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Look at verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight, how? Not by your good works, not by your own efforts, but by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. There's no question there, church. So now in verse 11, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has, has made us friends of God. Made us friends of God. It's through Jesus Christ. It is through the grace of Jesus Christ that we're now friends with God. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Please remember the scripture. Mark the scripture down in verse 12. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. Plain and simple. That statement, there's no ambiguity to it. It's very clear. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. And not only is Jesus the only way, he is the resurrection. Thank you, Jesus. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus told her, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live 
even after dying. The resurrection, church, is so key in our lives and what we believe because we have to believe God's word is true. And if the Bible says that he resurrected, we believe he resurrected. If there's no resurrection, the Bible says we're fools. We're the greatest fools ever because we've believed so much of this. And if we don't believe in the resurrection, then we're fools. The scripture is 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 23 is the entire passage. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? He was addressing this question because there were believers that were saying that there's no resurrection. For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Church, we believe in the resurrection. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he's not in a tomb somewhere that he's not dead somewhere, but that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father in perfect glory and perfect authority, and he's still working in our lives. And you and I, because of his resurrection, we have been spiritually resurrected. Can you say amen? We were once dead, but now we're alive. We were once headed to destruction, but now we're headed to, to, to Jesus Christ and righteousness. Why? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus. I pray tonight. That 100%, not this statistic I gave earlier, but that now 100% of us would have no question that Jesus is the only way. That the world needs to hear that. Acts chapter 4, verse 11 through 12, Peter and John were here addressing the council. They were being persecuted because they were preaching Jesus, and they healed a crippled man, and, and, and they were beginning to be persecuted. But in fact, Acts 4, 11 and 12, they preached this. They said this, For Jesus is the one referred to in the Scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Verse 12, There is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. No one else. There's no question. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's a simple truth. There's no confusion. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. Those watching online, you need Jesus. Perhaps you're here tonight and you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You need Jesus. So I share this article again as we read in the beginning when asked what prevents people from communicating their faith to unbelievers close to 70% of born-again Christians say there are other ways to heaven aside from turning to Christ for salvation. And I pray tonight that as we look through scriptures, as we look through God's word, that we've addressed that and we've cast down every high thought that would exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ and would say that you could choose this path, you could choose that path, you could choose that path. But what does the Bible tell us? Two more scriptures I want to close with. John 10, 8 through 9. Jesus says, All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. 
In John 10, 11, and 12, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. I stand here today fully convinced that Jesus is the only way. And life is found in no one else. I'm convinced that he loved you and I so much that he paid the greatest sacrifice for you and I. No one else did. He did. And that we should not question his love for us, nor question our responsibility to tell others. Because he is the only way. Jesus is the only way. And this truth, it doesn't disappoint us. But yet, it gives us hope, it gives us encouragement, and it motivates us to see this reality in our hearts, in our lives, day in and day out. But also the responsibility that you and I have to share with the world that they need Jesus, that He is the answer. So tonight we learned that Jesus is the only way. And you and I, church, we have a responsibility to share this truth with the world. Thank you, Jesus. If we could bow our heads tonight.